Welcome, citizens of the globe, to the Front End Heroes podcast, where we discuss all things villainous and heroic about the front end of software development. My name is Evan Payne. I'm a senior front end developer at Actimo. And with me, as always, is my co host, Scott Francis, a senior front end software engineer at NetCentric. How are you doing, Scott? Really good. Um, and I'm super excited that we've got videos going, so I'm like waving to everybody. Um, yeah, and I'm super excited for today's guest. There's no guarantee we'll publish that with the video, but yeah, we'll see. Uh, it is exciting. <laughs> I, I In which case, I it was terrible podcasting. <laughs> It's all good. <laughs> Today's episode is sponsored by NetCentric, an award-winning Adobe Global Alliance partner. Um, we are very glad to have their support with this show. Check them out online. Uh, today, we have a guest. Um, you can introduce yourself, but uh, this is Natalia Vandito. Um, please, who are you? What do you do? Uh, hi, Evan. Hi, Scott. Well, I'm Natalia, like you just mentioned, and... I also work for NetCentric. Um, I started seven years ago, actually, as a front-end developer. Um, and today I am in the role of solutions architect, which was a, yeah, it was an interesting and yeah, challenging journey. Um, but yeah, this is, this is who I am. I am from Uruguay. I am a mom um, and yeah, a tech person <laughs> all around. Awesome. So uh, the title of this episode um, and the topic we'll get into is uh, tongue-in-cheek, The League of Extraordinary Developers, a reference to an uh, offbeat, off-brand comic book uh, thing, but Justice League, Avengers, superhero teams in general. And the reason I wanted to have uh, you on this is because you recently became a Google developer expert, a GDE in that program, but also you're sort of jumping from what is traditionally the front end into this architecture pathway or, you know, uh, community. And yeah, in general, uh, the, the topic we want to sort of go into is these kind of groupings within the broader landscape of the front end community and so on. So let's start with... Um, yeah, the GDE thing. Um, can you tell us a bit about how that came about? I mean, it feels like one of those, you know, Mason type organizations that you have to have a special invite to get into and such. Well, what has been your experience with that? No, I don't think it is. It is so the only particularity or the only thing that you need to demonstrate is your involvement with the community and that you really care and that it, it's one of your objectives to um, work for other people's growth and to share everything you know and to be very active in that sense. But you don't really need to be anything out of the ordinary in terms of development. You just need to be very committed to share whatever it is that you already know and do with others so they can also, you know, get a job in tech or or get a better job in tech or learn things that they, they didn't have the chance to learn. Even even learning those things uh, in different ways other than the academic path, right? So from YouTube, from uh, blog posts, from going to conferences, etc. Yeah. Yeah, it's that I, I idea as well of um, not just developer advocacy, but, but again, kind of tech advocacy of pushing people to do their, their best things. Um, yeah. Um, I mean, I, I think that you're a great choice for that sort of thing, because since we met, you've been inspiring those around you and pushing that forward. 
Um, is it something that you've kind of chose to do intentionally um, or it just came about as part of your personality type maybe? Um, when I went home to Uruguay this, this summer, I found a picture of myself. I was about, uh, I think, seven years old. And the picture is me at school on a stage with a microphone. And I was talking to a crowd. So I guess that this is something that <laughs> is embedded in my personality. Um, but then I had a, I had a period of my life when I was, uh, like my kids were, were smaller and I didn't really want to be at all in the spotlight. Like I, 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 I did some video um, tutorials when I started developing many years ago. And those were about Drupal and front-end development because I was developing with Drupal back in the day. But then I removed them from YouTube and I was kind of like not very involved. And a few years ago, I started public speaking again um, at our summit. And from then on, uh, I never stopped. <laughs> so yeah. I remember that. I remember that talk. It's the HTTP two one, right? Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. that's right. Yeah. yeah, I, I think, I think I did one before that one. I can't remember right now. I think okay. it was about three times, or maybe that was the first one. I, I can't recollect. But um, yes, starting from there on, I started applying to uh, call for papers, and yeah, sort of. I guess people liked it. And then I started getting invited to some conferences as well. And this is how it started, basically. I'm, I'm just interested in the, the, GD, the GDE thing as well. Um, because um, it's obviously a way of passing knowledge on. So a way of helping those who are coming into the industry. Um, and one thing for me is I see less and less need for like traditional like education to get into like our field. Like, so to me, like things like degrees, I kind of like, I can see that they do open doors for people initially, but maybe that that's not the best way of spending money to get yourself into like into tech. So with, um, with so many experts like online and available, do you think that like in the future, these experts like yourself could help like pass on so much knowledge that this is almost like a, a way into the industry? Um, a way of teaching new generations? Um, I think there are many aspects or perspectives to it. And um, it's interesting because I, I, I wrote a blog post like two months ago um, that is titled, um, Can You Become a Successful Software Developer Without a CS Degree? And my opinion is that you can, right? And, and and many people joined the conversation and they were saying like, yeah, you can become a web developer, for example, but you cannot become a data scientist and you cannot do research. And I think that's that's the difference. Like universities, usually they, they have funds for research and they have fund for uh, fund for for. Yeah, more in-depth analysis of things. and But I also was enrolled at the university. I took credits for computer science and I wanted to complete my degree. And at some point I realized that, yeah, what I had already learned from experience 
was more more uh, practical to do my work and to complete tasks and to deliver than whatever I was learning in theory from the university. So, however, I want to say that that theory is obviously important uh, to to fill gaps, right? Um, but you can still access a, a job in tech without that formal education. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It demands a lot of hard work, right? <laughs> I want to, to stress that because it's not about taking a couple of tutorials and you're going to be um, an expert on anything. You obviously need to put a lot of work and you need to um, yeah, have some experience that covers for that lack of formal education. But there are many roads to success, right? And yeah, I, I think that's the key as well, is that there are many different pathways. And we talked about this in previous episodes. You know, um, Inez, for example, um, has a degree and went down that route. And that was very good for her because it gave her a solid foundation. Whereas, you know, I studied film in college and like only came to this through a long time of freelancing and poking about and reading, you know, uh, Smashing Magazine and uh, CSS tricks to figure it out. Uh, There's different paths in and that's acceptable. And the main thing here is let's not be gatekeepers about this, right? Because you don't know what people's backstories are. Definitely. But universities give you structure and there are many real good things about having that, that solid foundation. And obviously it's easier to get your Foot across the door, right? Yeah, land your first job is much easier if you have a degree, if you don't have experience. Um, and I guess that's going to become more important as, as time goes by because right now many people have the opportunity to, to learn in a different way. Um, but back in the day, in our days, that was not the case. And this is how we became some, somehow different. Um, not different, but yeah, we, we, we had the opportunity to be the champions of learning from online resources and community resources. And that made us um, or gave us different opportunities than maybe people right now won't, won't have because they will have to compete with a lot more people that are both educated in computer sciences or have learned from online resources. Uh, so the opportunities are less, but also the jobs are more, like the the vacancies are more. So <laughs> yeah, maybe yeah. There's, there's a balance. Yeah, there's, a, yeah there is, there's opportunity there if you're in the right place. Yeah. Uh, and especially yeah. now, like everybody's like switching to remote working, then like, the opportunity like, stacks up. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think definitely for me, um, I totally agree that like maybe times were different when we first started out. And the one thing I always used to say was, yeah, I did a degree and um, maybe I think um, everything that I did wasn't relevant in that degree to the job that I eventually took to start out in this industry. Um, but I totally agree with you. It gave me it gave me the opportunity to get that first job. After that, after the first job, I think that my degree was has largely been irrelevant because it's more been it's it's more or less about experience now. Um, and what you've done, but yeah, it definitely helped in the first place. I, I just, like for me, I'm, I'm always looking at like how the industry evolves and assesses like people's ability to come into the, the industry and work. Um, and I just think that 
with people with experts like yourself um, available on Twitter and um, there and people are able to access access you it just gives like another tremendous resource and I, I if I could just ask another question um, sure. like how like how much time do you take um, like fielding questions from people um, I know that you're active on Twitter um, I see your posts all the time you're, you're posting you're doing blog posts um, all the time you are you're speaking at conferences like how do you how do you juggle that? How do you find the time to um, to be this um, this Google developer expert and give that time to the community? You have to streamline a lot, and and the important thing is that because the the, the program has so many experts um, and they have different profiles, like there are many people that are very active on Discord, for example, mm-hmm. and I am not. I am not a per- like for me, it's very overwhelming to be all day in this kind of environment however i am very active on twitter and there are some google developer experts that are not so we try to cover many different uh, channels uh, but it's not like every google developer expert is going to be on every channel so mm-hmm. this is a way to you know filter and also to you know kind of reduce the the amount of um of yeah, interaction because you also need time for yourself. You need time for your job and for your family, and you cannot be one hundred percent on this. So you have to choose what is the, you know the the most um, ideal or optimal way to communicating, and then you choose that one and and stick to it. And this is how you yeah manage your time in a better way. Yeah, yeah, and I think it it. It also is going to depend on the person and the personality type. And, and you know, I'm learning um, what my strengths and are and what they're not. So if I really, really work hard at it for like 40 hours, I can write a good article that I'm happy with and I can publish that. But I never put aside that much time to do an article, so I never post any articles. And you're like, yeah, all I'd have to do is to be consistent one per month. But it just doesn't happen because it takes me longer but you put me in front of a microphone or a camera and I can talk about things and get my point across fluidly. And I could do that every day, technically. Um, I'm not, and that's a different matter, but still finding a strength that you have and running with that and not trying to force yourself into, like you say, being overwhelmed in the type of chat room that Discord is, is an important thing. Yeah, that happened to me also with with this new (laughs) application, Clubhouse, right? Uh, When it came out, everybody was... Like, yeah, you need to join. And I got this invite. And at first I was like, yeah, well, maybe it's a good way to reach out to more people. But then it doesn't work at all for me. Why? Because I'm a family person and I don't want to just pop into a conversation at any time of my day. I need a lot more um, planning for this kind of thing. So conferences work for me. Meetups work for me because two months prior, I already know that I have to block that time and I need to make arrangements for, you know, being uh, in a quiet uh, moment and and my kids are out and whatever. But this this, um, kind of ad hoc arrangements do not work for me. And yeah. This is you, you just need to find your your channels, but, like I said before. Let's let's talk a little bit about subject matter. So for for you, this is okay. When we all started on this, there was a pretty clear concept of what the front end was. 
and it was distinct from the back end, which, you know, that was maybe relatively new, but still it was clear. Now you've got these, you know, things coming about out talking about front of the front end versus back of the back end, which is, which is nice. Um, but it's because the front end and what it is, is just expanding so greatly in scope because there's so many things that are now JavaScript and that that's considered a front end language and so on and so forth. Then you as well have gone into the architectural side, which is, it's still talking about front end. It's still the pieces, but a lot of people would consider that to be more back of, you know, like back of the back end. even it's the high level view of these things. How, how do you find balancing that um, and, you know, talking about it and bringing new people into this when it's so vast and varied and there's so many angles? Uh, I don't know how to answer that because it's, yeah, obviously I am doing a lot less what may be considered purely front-end work at the moment. Like I, I, I don't think I do CSS for a very <laughs> long time and... Um, yeah, there are still many things that need high-level overview when it comes to front-end integrations, when it comes to, you know, uh, API contracts. And that used to be on the table of the solutions architect that sometimes didn't have any any overview of how the front-end worked or how the front-ends work in their minds, what they need, how, what is easier for them and this is where um, I saw a niche that was not explored um, and how I, yeah, kind of made my way into solutions architecture. But then obviously when you are there, you need to take care of other things that uh, you were not considering like more infrastructure and, and resources and yeah, definitions that are not really front-end right anymore but i still try to make sure that i am very very uh, connected with what happens on the browser right what what what's going to how is this going to impact this integration this this api is going to uh, make it um, more performant at runtime or how is it going to make it easier for the developers to uh, make a request and yeah all these things um that go from one end to the other. But I feel that, I personally feel that because we have a lot more abstraction and we have a lot more um, operations on the on the front end, on the, on the client side right now, uh, these lines of pure front end, pure back end are kind of fading away. This is my, my impression. Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, um, when I started, yeah, I was much more comfortable with maybe HTML and CSS, and I had done some PHP, and that was kind of already a little much for me. But over time now, I'd say I spend way more time just doing interesting TypeScript kind of JavaScript loops with an Angular, and like that is so exciting to me. It's the, the real puzzle solving. Not that CSS isn't as well, but yeah, you've only got so much you can focus on during a day, so you end up just getting a slice of it. Um, but my, my, other, my further question is, okay, you've got juniors that come into this, right? There's suddenly like so many things that they need to at least know about, um, and much less like choose something to specialize in. Like, ha how do you guide them through that? I mean, this is an open question because I don't think it's specific to being a, a, a developer expert or an advocate even, but just 
how how can we help them get a grasp on everything there is? You mean for front-end developers? Specifically for front-end developers, um, yeah. I think that there is, I don't know, this, this I, I don't even know how to, to, to name this, but there is this belief that you are a better front-end developer if you only know JavaScript or you're better at JavaScript. And many people are underestimating the importance of HTML and CSS. And I think you can see that all three of us have, have done interviews, like technical interviews, and we can probably see that lack of, or, or that gap in knowledge for front-end developers. And what I would recommend is that front-end developers see the front-end from the very uh, user interface and user experience, like a user themselves, and they evaluate if CSS is not important, like where things are, how they are distributed, um, if they look nice, if they are current, if there is a seamless experience. And all these will give you already very important. And then if things are not well structured, they are not accessible, um, they are not correctly indexed. So HTML is enormously important. And then you go down and then even if you, if you switch JavaScript off in a browser, but you can use a page that's already front-end development, right? So you first know your structure, your markup, then you know how to make it pretty and style it and, and, and current, and then you make it usable and functional with JavaScript, and then you integrate it with something else, and then you go all the way down these layers of depth of the front-end knowledge. And you have to know it all, right? Because otherwise you can, you can have a great JavaScript um, logic, but the user cannot click a button because it, it's swaying away somewhere. Does it make it usable? It doesn't. So, yes, all this is yeah. very important. And and not get overwhelmed again. Like, try to dedicate some weeks to um, get better at HTML and understand really well the structure. Understand what it what each element does. Why is it there? What is its semantic meaning? Um, all these things. And then you, yeah, focus on CSS and then um, go to JavaScript. And that's, that's a, good, a good strategy. I think I, it's, interesting, <laughs> it's interesting what you said that yeah, we, we have to know everything, right? Um, <clears throat> and, we, and we do. Um, we do, but I think that it's interesting because your the way that you describe like the the path of learning um, is is quite true for all of us. I think you start with your HTML and then you're heavily involved in CSS, and then you find yourself like really heavily involved in JavaScript. And then, as Evan alluded to, just like spends a lot of time in JavaScript. And I think the the thing is, it feels almost like JavaScript is the is the bit where you get front end, like now you're a front ender. Like, and I see lots of arguments like, oh, come on, CSS is so powerful. It can do so many things. It's an amazing thing. You look at, you look at like CSS artists, 
like posting things on on Twitter, and you're like, oh my god, this is like this is mind blowing. Like I could never do something like that. But it's almost um, it's almost overlooked once you get to like the JavaScript stage. Like it's like, oh well, I'm I'm developing in JavaScript, and I think that um, in general. For me, the main thing for for new developers is yeah, it is important to know these things. It is important to like take those those steps. But I would say that you've got to give yourself a break and just don't let yourself get bogged down like with yeah, no, with definitely. with knowing everything. I I've a, I've discovered something recently which um, is like a favorite app of mine now. Like, um, and I think probably everybody's already using it, but it's this thing called Pocket. Um, and never heard about it. <laughs> and nope, it's, really? it's amazing. Right. So basically I was, I've always seen articles and thinking, I don't have time to read that now, but I'm going to need, I'm pretty sure I'm going to need the sub, the contents of this article are going to be relevant to me like soon or somewhere down mm-hmm. the line. And I need to, I need to like put this together. So I found this app pocket. Um, you can save articles from any device. Like if you've got the account, it's all joined up. And you just tag an article with something like, you know, I'll, I'll tag something web performance. I'll tag something um, CSS. Um, and then you have all these articles that you can go back to and filter through your tags. Um, and now it's become enough for me to know that an article exists or a tutorial exists that I might need in the future. Um, and I can just access it really quickly. And now I don't have to worry about like, there's all this information coming across my, yeah. across my desk, um, which I have no time to look at now, but it's sa- even just the title sounds interesting. Like I'm going to save that because it's going to, this is going to work for me down the line. And I've yeah. it's absolutely changed my working like practices. Absolutely. And I, I, I want to clarify one thing that that's like a, a reference path to, start learning from one technology to another doesn't mean that you have to do that. You can stick to CSS and HTML and you're still a front-end developer because those are front-end technologies. And whomever says um, people that focus on, on layout are not front-end developers, they need a reality check. That's not, that's not true. Um, but also because the front-end technologies are so broad and the scope is so broad, um, ranging from um, layout to performance to accessibility to you name it, the very heavy logic of things in the back of the front-end. Like you said, you don't need to know it all by heart. That That simply doesn't happen. And people like us that have been for decades or a decade or more years in this we don't know everything i i google a lot i i sometimes have i don't remember how to pass arguments to a certain method i don't remember how many arguments it takes or how i have to pass them it's normal because we have a limited amount of memory and we do a lot of things so that pressure of having to know it all that's simply yeah, not healthy. Um, I, I want. I wanted to make two two specific points here. Um, the first one is what you're just talking about now, which is, I think that the era we're heading towards is one of finer definitions of what it what part of the front end you're working on. I mean, like we said, 
they've started off with this front of the front versus back of the front. Sure. But then there are some people that have really good design skills and are good at JavaScript. That's an okay kind of span of things. There are some people that are really good at the management part as well as the tech part and other parts of that will drop away. But acknowledging each person's individual superpowers, if you will, makes for the Avengers, right? Yeah. The assembling your superhero team is a big part of what's going ahead and, and it requires self-reflection. And I think, this is my second point, that the thing that unites all, everyone on the front end is that we are the ones that are most concerned with the end user experience. Other departments, yeah, they need to pay attention to that and so on. But certainly when you get into like what is back end versus front end, the back end is the mechanics making sure it all works. But the front end is, is the user getting what they need out of this? And no one on your team is more responsible for caring about that in the practical details than you are. Um, and yes, okay. you might not need to write a lot of CSS to achieve that. It could be a very usable app, but you need to be paying attention to that and not letting it slide out of the way either. Definitely. Can't agree more. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's, one other topic I had on our list before we get into sort of show wrapping up things was, um, and tell me in advance if you feel comfortable talking about this, but women in tech in general and supporting more women to get into the tech scene and front end and development and to not be yelled at on Twitter for every little comment that they make that's out of line. I mean, I'd love to hear some of your experiences, but also how and how other people can help foster and bring people into the community, bring women into the community. Yeah, women and other and other minorities, right? Because um, yeah. we want diversity. Is what what you just said. Everybody is good at something or brings a different perspective into things. And the more diverse the teams are, the more successful they are. And this is not like a you know, empty yeah. sentence. It is like this. It really is like this. So allowing people that come from different walks of life and different backgrounds and different gender identification, different that that is only enriching the, the, the team and the result that this team has. Um, how can we help as a woman the way I try to help is um, by being a role model. Like, if I can do it, you can do it. Uh, if I have kids and I can do it, you can do it. If I am 40 or, uh, and I do it, you can do it. So this is the, the way to, to bring more people on board, showing them that people they may identify with have achieved things. And so why couldn't they? They obviously can. Um, as a man, <laughs> I think you tell me, but um, it's all about being aware of the difficulties others are going through and being em empathic and, 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 you know, checking how we speak, checking how we... Um, yeah, how, how we teach, right? There is a lot about this mansplaining thing going on. And this is, sometimes it's not that, that people want to, to you know, um, underestimate others or make them feel little, but 
the use of language sometimes the the and I'm not gonna say everybody has to be a great teacher, but you don't have to speak to a woman or under or other person, whomever they are, as a child because they have less knowledge. So it's a, a lot about respect, a lot about you know really having the wish for that that person to succeed and learn something new, as opposed to demonstrating I know more than you and look how cool I am. So those are the tiny things that help creating a more diverse environment, a more welcoming environment for women and for other minorities. And yes, we have a long way to go yet. I think, yeah, I mean, just to pick up on a point there, like I think it's more about being, um, more about being a good person, isn't it? Like focus on being a good person. If you've got knowledge and you're in a, and you're in a job, like you don't need to shout about it. It's going to, if you're in a job and, like you do it well, like it's going to get noticed. You don't need to be in a meeting or anything, like making sure you're the loudest voice in the room, like yeah, just to, just to show off. But I mean, just like touching back on the women in tech thing, like you're obviously quite prominent in the in the industry. I think it's safe to say that. Do you feel that um, that is a, is a driver for you to keep progressing uh, in any way, or do you think that um, you're really focused on like being the best that you can be and a side effect of that is being an inspiration to to others do you is it is it a driver is it something that you think oh you know i should do this really well because this is going to open up uh, paths for people who come next um or do you or do you just think i'm going to do the best job that i can and like in in tech and then just by being me it will be enough to um to drive people on Originally, it was just I am going to try to be the best because I want to progress and I need to keep this job because I need it. And <laughs> yeah, let's not forget that we do. We feed, we feed a family on this. Yeah, exactly. And <laughs> um, and then at some point, I started being aware that I was making an impact, and yes, and I started being more conscious of how by by achieving things i was also opening doors for others and not only for women uh, for for men as well because i i worked hard for example to make it possible for the solutions architect pathway to have a front-end focus as well and this is going to welcome other people no matter their gender into this new um community so yes, you start you start having more impact, and you start realizing that whatever you do may um, also open the doors for others, and then you do it with more motivation because it's not only going to be beneficial for you, but for potentially many people. And yeah, yeah, I I think if you notice yourself getting, I don't know, having people pay more attention to you than than average let's say, um, you know, you appear on podcasts, you, you go on, you know, other shows and you're active in the community. It's at that point that you need to just start to cultivate your own behavior and respect um, and, and how you're perceived. It doesn't have to be false, like putting on a mask, but it has to be choose your words, you know, think twice before tossing off some inane tweet. Um, just be conscious of the fact that people will take you as a role model. Um, yeah, some some people in the community don't do that, 
because they think it's like impinging on their freedom and and most of the time that comes back to bite them um and it, you know I, I i don't know it's it's a weird thing but it, it comes from a place of you need to acknowledge that you what you say and do has impact on those around you it's the beginnings of empathy yeah my my um my way to see it is you never know the the ways of life the the the, the turns it takes in how maybe when when you think about community maybe you're in disagreement with somebody in strong disagreement with somebody but maybe in the future because i i learned that life is so dynamic and things change maybe in the future you have to collaborate with this person you have to contribute with this person so finding a friendly way out of conflict is always the best way for me i i don't believe in all these uh, Twitter drama and yelling at each other. Those are things I will never engage in. And unfortunately, for example, one thing I tried a couple of times was to open my Twitter uh, direct messages yeah. to everyone. Yeah. And I had to close them because some people don't understand respect and the context of professional. And so instead of... Um, interacting with them or telling them off or even exposing them. I just decide to close my message and don't have to interact with people in this way. So if they want to reach out to me, they can mention me, they can follow me, I'll follow back. And then, you know, a different kind of interaction happens. Um, but yes, it's very important to to try to, to, to keep professional and to try to keep, um, yeah, or stay out of conflict, right? It's, it's in the end, not, not going anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the last thing that I'll, I'll say on that topic is as well, I mean, it blows my mind that people are like that. They, they hop into DMs just to yell at people. <laughs> um, like why, why would you do that? And for me, it is, well, stop, what is why is it a gender thing what would you do that with another guy like why would you do that to a woman specifically that i don't i can't follow that line of logic like i, I don't see how that's acceptable and i just wish people would just reconsider that that and think through and just say like okay it doesn't matter who this person is they could you don't know like yes they look like a woman but they could identify as a man you don't know this is you know <laughs> the yeah. 2020s like you just don't know so don't take it for granted act with them as if they were just a human or someone that you have this level of respect for, because that will lead to more advances in technology and better developer experiences and more help coming through. I mean, it's, it's idealistic. I can see that because people suck, <laughs> but people can also be amazing. So yeah. I don't know, just, yeah, it, this is very distant from front-end matters. I still perhaps. have to say that in, in, in tech <laughs> communities, most people are amazing. And yeah. and it's only a handful of people that maybe just need to still learn to better interact with others. And I, I, I don't mean only um, being disrespectful in the manner of yelling, but also um, contacted women for things that are not professional and yeah. this is this is so um like things that i don't want to deal with definitely i'm not online for that right so yeah, yeah. so um 
On a positive note, we want to, as we do each episode, highlight um, some true front-end heroes that are working across the planet and thank them for all they do. So this time around, we have nominated one Diana or Diana Rodriguez as the true hero. And um, Diana has talked at a lot of conferences. She's involved in a lot of different things. Interactions I've had with her have always been amazing and pleasant. So Natalia, you... Um, suggested her why don't you tell us a bit more about yeah. well diana is also a personal friend she became a personal friend from like one week to another because she's a person very involved and she always tries to help you get where you want to get and um even if it's at her at the cost of her own personal time which is not good i wish she stopped doing that <laughs> but um she still does it and does it from from the bottom of her heart. And one thing that she's doing right now that is amazing, she she has diabetes type two and she created her own device to, um, you know, keep her uh, sugar levels in check. And she is working hard to make this available to everyone who doesn't have, uh, particularly in the States, we know that, yeah. Public health is different than in Europe and in other countries. She's trying to make that available to everyone, regardless of if they want an insurance or not. And I think that's totally... That is, that is amazing. Yeah, that is amazing. That is certainly amazing. Yeah. So again, Diana, thank you for all that you're doing and keep being an inspiration to the community because that is what we need. <laughs> Absolutely. Um Continuing on, any proper hero is a well-rounded one, so we want to share some simple musical picks. Uh, Scott, what's the favorite thing that you've been listening to lately? Well, um, to drown out my children in the morning when I'm spending a couple of hours, <laughs> co- couple of hours every morning just trying to like get some tranquility, um, I found myself listening to a lot of classical music, um, which mainly works. Like It's good to work to um, and uplifting in the morning, but um, as soon as the children are out the door, I have found myself switching back to a, um, Bob Dylan, which is like my is he's always been my go to for like any kind of music. And I've, and on Spotify recently, they released um, the best of the bootleg series, which I have to say is like amazing. And so I've just been listening to that, um, that and a mix of uh, Beethoven and Mozart. Cool. Nice. Uh, Natalia, how about you? Yeah, I was I was telling you guys I was listening to a lot of Pearl Jam lately. I don't know why, but I had all the albums like on loop while I was working and um but also yeah, I, I don't know, a throwback to to my mm, my 20s, I think. I was also listening Offspring and Nirvana and yeah, in this um direction. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, those are good times. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> lots, of, lots of screaming along with them. Yeah. Um, cool. Yeah. Um, I'll uh, ask you maybe for a specific album or we can just toss to a Pearl Jam playlist. Um, from my side, uh, I've, I I can't remember, <clears throat> excuse me, if I recommended them before, um, but it's a new thing, a new release anyway by them. This band uh, or a group might be one guy, uh, I'm not sure, called Pie Corner Audio. Um been making sort of electronic music um, from the UK for, you know, the last decade or so. And um, there's one in particular, which is called the Black Mill Tapes. 
um, every year or so they'd release another volume of that. And volume five was kind of like the last tapes just came out. So this is all from 2010, 2013. And then this full box set of all five volumes came out. And yeah, it's hours of this really interesting, like electronic music, um, low key, um, a lot of soundscape type things, but it's perfect for putting on in the background when you're coding or reading. Um, and I've been doing a lot of that lately. So yeah, that's pretty cool. So, um, yeah, we'll wrap it up. Um, there, uh, it's all the time we have for the day, folks. We want to keep things in order. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, if you enjoyed the show, you should like heart or star us in your podcast, your choice reviews and ratings are how the fancy algorithms help people find our content. The power to help is within you. If you have any questions or topics you want covered in our next episode, uh, send a tweet to us at heroes front end, and we'll add it to our list. No one has done that so far, but do please. Uh, and until <laughs> next time, heroes, remember with great front end power comes great responsibility. See you next time. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye.